What's going on, guys? So in this episode, I'm going to dive into the Week 15 whole slate, other than, of course, the Monday night game that's happening later tonight. Uh, I'm going to review and just kind of recap each game, starting with the Thursday night game. If my sound sounds different today, it's because I have a little bit of a technical issue, but it will be back up and running this week with the uh, normal uh, kind of audio or whatever. So bear with me, if you will. I didn't want to do a non-episode today. I felt like that would just be kind of uh, disrupt the rhythm of this thing, and I don't want to do that. So Let's start with the Chargers-Raiders, the Thursday night game. Chargers went in there, beat the Raiders in overtime, and it was a really uh, interesting game, to say the least. So Justin Herbert, another game-winning drive. I think that's important, and also another 300-yard game. So um, obviously, that's kind of what you want to see at this time in the year, a team that's been very close to the Chargers. I mean, they were pretty much betting, if you were taking the Chargers with the points all year long, other than that New England game, you won money pretty much for the most part. Like they were constantly covering, they were co- which means they were constantly close to winning, but they just weren't quite there. So nice to see them starting to finally put it together, especially for their coach, Anthony Lynn. After the, after the 45 nothing loss to New England, you kind of had the whole, everybody in media was basically turning on Anthony Lynn. But the Chargers organization stayed emotionally intelligent and stable, and they, they kept him. And what do you know? They've won two straight now. And uh, this team... Has a bunch of talent. Anthony Lynn won 12 games just a couple of years ago. I think that it's a wise move to keep him because there's not, you know, just coaches that can come in and win 12 games, right? Like, there really aren't. So, and that was with Philip Rivers, who <clears throat> at that point didn't have any offensive line whatsoever. And Anthony Lynn was just kind of making it work. So I think that is important uh, for, the, for his job security, for the, this win I'm talking about. So that's good. And then on the Raiders side of things, I thought that Mariota played well. I think that it's going to be a very, it's almost a very unique blessing to have this opportunity to have Derek Carr out for a game, two, three games or whatever it is, and have Mariota come in and just kind of show you what you've got in him. Because if he plays really well over what will be, I believe, the final four games or three games of the season, that is, um, that's going to be interesting to see kind of what the Vegas Raiders decide to do with that. Because Derek Carr might have some trade value. The only reason I say might is because the quarterback position, <clears throat> if you guys haven't noticed, the economics of it, the supply and demand of it is a little bit saturated right now. So I'm not sure who's going to want to take on Derek Carr for a bunch of compensation. I don't think it would be, you know, a first round pick, but I think it would be something, um, you know, I think it'd be something. I, I'll leave it at that. But overall, like I said, a unique opportunity for the Raiders. They're technically, I think, still alive, maybe in the playoff race, but they would need basically a miracle. So they are playing for something, though, in my opinion, and they'll, you'll hear me say this a lot throughout this podcast, I, I imagine, that wins now matter. Like for the, for the Chargers case, they mattered, right? Because Anthony Lynn, if you guys remember, I think it was Ron Rivera's like second season. At the end of that year, there was, amongst the Carolina media, there was a ton of talk about firing Ron Rivera. There was even one, I think it was like Ian Rappaport reported that Rivera would be fired at season's end. And... He didn't. Jerry Richardson decided to keep him on. Uh, The Panthers won like three or four games in a row down the stretch to close the season. And then the next season, the Panthers actually went 12 and four after a one and two start. And they uh, made the playoffs, won the division, all that. So I think these types of wins at this time of year are important. It's just not you don't it's not something that seems tangible for the you know, for for basically the instant gratification crowd, which is almost all fans. And that's understandable, but it is, it does matter because when you, when you build momentum and especially when you're a young team, right. And you, you build victories and you build that momentum, you get kind of used to seeing how it feels to win 
that is very much tangible for a carryover into next season and to get your season started off right. You know, so that's something that I think that is is going to be good, especially for both of these teams that are hopefully going to keep their coaches. I know the Raiders are going to keep their coach, uh, Mr. Hundred Million Man, but I, I don't I don't know Anthony Lynn's going to keep his job, but I do believe he should, and I think that if he wins a couple more games, he'll be guaranteed that spot. So we'll see how that plays out. <clears throat> okay, next game I want to talk about is the Saturday game, the Bills Broncos. So. Buffalo waltzes into Denver, beats the Broncos 48-19. to That is a game I did not think was going to be a blowout because the Denver defense is a really, really good defense. And guess what? They're still a really good defense. It's just that Josh Allen was going crazy. I mean, the last three games for Allen, he's averaged 324 pass yards a game, uh, has eight touchdowns, one interception. So he's been throwing for well over 300 yards, as you see, on average, and he's been winning games that way. So that's kind of the big case to be made for Josh Allen's MVP race or candidacy um, in 2020 is the fact that he is 90% of the offense, literally. Like the, the run game by the running backs has been a very small portion of what the Buffalo Bills have done successfully. So I think Allen, with what he's done with his arm and his legs, has been something that, I mean, he had two rushing touchdowns against the Broncos last week uh, on Saturday. That is, he's just a dynamic player and it's all coming together for him. I'm happy. I'm really happy for Buffalo fans, especially those guys that were out there in the in the snow at like three o'clock in the morning to greet the Bills, and they got back. That was that was pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, that those three games, by the way, that Josh Allen is averaging 324 yards a game passing, is uh, they came against the 49ers, the Steelers, and the Broncos. To me, all three of those defenses are pretty damn good, especially you know against the pass. I mean, they're, they're really that's what they do best. So <clears throat> to see him doing that and leading them to three straight wins, and pretty emphatic wins at that is pretty impressive stuff. Buffalo's defense has only allowed 75 points since their bye week over the last four games, so that's under 20 a game. And if you have this defense that can hold people to 20 or fewer points in a game come playoff time, if they can actually sustain that level of production, they're going to win. They're, they're not going to lose games. You know, they're, they're going to make a run, a serious run at this thing. So I cannot wait if, in fact, they do play the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game or at some point in the AFC playoffs. I can't wait for that. That's going to be very exciting. Drew Locke. Let's talk about Denver side of it real quick. I thought um, I thought Drew Locke made some plays, especially early on. That touchdown pass to Noah Fant was a beautiful throw. It was right where only the receiver could get it. Uh, but ultimately, it was just a bad matchup. Like that that one play where he the sack fumble and then the pickup by Jerry Hughes for the touchdown, which, by the way, was one of the most impressive return touchdowns of the season, at least. It was, like, awesome. I can't believe Jerry Hughes, Jerry Hughes is like 260, 270 pounds, I believe, and he's doing stuff like that. That was pretty insane. So, um, But the reason why a lot of people saying Drew Locke should have felt that pressure and things like that, well, the thing about that is Locke was climbing the pocket, right? And he saw slash felt the, uh, the backside rusher coming there, which in that case, and this is kind of the point I'm making, in that case, it was um, the uh, Tredavious White, the corner. So he didn't... I think that he didn't think that that guy was going to be able to close quite as fast as he did because he probably didn't know that that was Tredavious White. So that's kind of the one little excuse I would make for him, for lack of a better word, you know, in terms of just why he didn't feel that rush coming in and kind of the justification for why he did lose that fumble there in that spot. So obviously that play broke the game open because the Denver Broncos were hanging tough with the Buffalo Bills. They were down, I think, 21 to seven, if I remember correctly, or 21 to six. And the uh, halftime, it was a seven-point game or whatever, eight-point game, whatever it was, <clears throat> and um, Denver had the ball first, and you thought like, oh, wow, Denver's about to make this a close game. 
And then all of a sudden that happened after. So I think Buffalo went down and scored. And then that happened. It was like, whoa, this thing got out of hand quickly. But Buffalo is that kind of team, man. You have to play really good football to beat them. And if, you know, a team like Denver, who's just not as talented as them, if they play a game where they make mistakes, you know, you're, you're really, really making it difficult on your squad. So I thought once Drew Locke got into positions where he had to pass, Sean McDermott is one of the best. I always talk about this, but just, just kind of confusing young quarterbacks. He's kind of Belichickian in that way, like where he just, he does a really good job of confusing. It makes him think it's one thing in terms of coverage and it's something else. And then next thing you know, you're making a bad decision. I don't even think Locke threw an interception, but he just, at that point in the game, things got a lot more difficult for him, So, which is justified. But nonetheless, the fans want a new quarterback, as they always do. All right, Panthers at Packers, the other Saturday night game. This was a weird one. So Green Bay gets off to a 21-3 lead, I believe it was, and it looked like it was just going to be a laugher, right? <clears throat> and then from then on, they didn't score any points until like the last field goal on their second-to-last possession. So... That was uh, very interesting. The Panthers' defense showed promise, held Aaron Rodgers to just four, what was it, like 4.9 yards for pass attempt and sacked him five times. Um, the young guys, Brian Burns and Derek Brown, which ironically were GM Marty Herney's last two first-round picks, who GM Marty Herney got fired today, in case you guys don't know, they each had two sacks, so that's pretty pretty good picks there. His, his previous first-round pick was DJ Moore, uh, the previous year to that, and DJ Moore now has 3,000 receiving yards over his first three seasons, and DJ's just 23 years old. So that's Marty Herney, the guy that just got fired. That's his last three first-round picks. DJ Moore, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, guys that are all producing at a high level immediately, and he is now fired. And owner David Tepper said that basically that had to do with, um, you know, it would be stupid. I think his quote was something along the lines of, it would be stupid for us not to align Matt Rule with someone that has the same exact philosophy or something like that, right? Which to me is like, okay, that's totally fine. If you felt that way, then why did you keep Marty Herney for the last year, you know, plus? Like, just fire him. You know what I mean? I, I guess, <clears throat> I guess in that from that standpoint, it was like, you know, we are going to keep Marty because he knows our big board type. You know, he kind of knows our draft philosophy and things like that. Maybe that was the the thought, but. I mean, at this point, this, the Carolina scouting department has been working on the draft stuff all season long. So um, at this point, Marty is definitely well aware of where they have their board stacked so far. So I don't quite understand the timing of it. It's pretty strange. It almost seems like um, you're, you're basically saying like we, you know, oh, see, we're not very good because Marty did X, Y, Z. Like Matt Rule clearly okayed at the minimum okayed every single draft pick every single free agent acquisition I mean look at the Ryan I mean a uh, Robbie Anderson acquisition was totally a Matt Rule move he coached him in college so I, I don't like the the move necessarily I understand it I mean I'm okay with it I guess but what I what just the timing of it is the whole thing that kind of confuses me but hey you know they did what they had to do I just when you say stuff like that as an owner and I, I've heard former executives say that owners have to learn how to own an NFL team and I think that's a good example of that with David Tepper like to come out and say it would be stupid to not fire him basically to, to not have a, a GM that's exactly on on the same page as Matt Rule for him to come out and say that just makes him makes him look like a low character guy in my opinion because it's like if that was your thought process then you should have fired him a year ago you know what I mean like what what do you mean you're saying that you just did something stupid for the last year? Is that is that what you're getting at? Like, if that's the case, maybe, you know, you need to point the finger at yourself. I don't know. 
Aaron Jones had another 300-yard uh, game, just his third of the season, I believe, either third or fourth of the season. And um, he looked really good. And then uh, him, along with everybody else, just kind of calmed down towards the second half of the, of the uh, game. So that was, again, an impressive effort from the Panthers. I thought that Matt Rule, um, I thought he managed that situation properly, by the way. I thought t- kicking the field goal there with over two minutes on the clock and, and getting a stop, I thought that was the right decision. You know, it put him in a position where, his team had a little over a minute to go, I believe it was, to, um, and they would have had the ball at like midfield, right? So I think that that was a, a good decision, to be honest with you. I liked the decision. I thought that um, it almost paid off. Like the Panthers had the ball and, and again had the ball in a situation where they could go tie or take the lead, and they failed. Teddy Bridgewater did. I, Teddy Bridgewater, to me, let me just address this with him. I, look, I think he is exactly who we always thought he was, a, a solid quarterback that you know, maybe he can start, but he's probably best suited for a backup. He's not the kind of guy that can take you to the promised land, you know, unless everything around him is perfect, right? Like, I mean, the defense is perfect. The the playmakers are there, which they are in Carolina. The offensive line is perfect, which the, it was very good in terms of pass protection this year. So, I mean, look, this team's not ready to go to the promised land right now anyways, but I think that if the Panthers are on the clock in the draft and they're picking in a spot where the, the quarterback that they like happens to be there or they can trade up to grab him, I think that's a very smart move at this point. That's kind of the responsible decision, in my opinion. All right, Texans-Colts. <clears throat> um, Colts win it 27-20. The, uh, you know, this game was, in many ways, just like the game these two teams played just two weeks ago. And uh, like the Colts won that one 26-20. Uh, that game was basically the Colts' defensive line being dominant for most of the afternoon and holding Deshaun Watson to 20 points, and that's exactly what happened again in this one. I mean, Deshaun Watson had a better statistical game, but for the most part, this Colts' defensive line was awesome. I mean, they were all over him. They, um, the DeForest Buckner had three sacks. And, uh, Nico Autry had one and a half, so that's a lot of production from your defensive interior right there. Not even your edge rushers. I think last time it was Justin Houston that had like three sacks. So um, obviously when you get that kind of production from your defensive line, that's, you know, that's very, very impressive. And and you're going to win most games in situations like that. I thought that Phillip Rivers was very efficient again, you know, just, I mean, he's just, that's what he's been, man. And and he's starting to become um, trustworthy. I think he was 22 of 28 in this game. And I don't mean to sound like an asshole when I say that, but, he really is becoming a trustworthy guy in games where they're important games against good teams. Now, I'm not saying Houston's a good team, but generally speaking, Phillip Rivers this season has not disappointed in big games. And the last Tennessee game was a little bit flirting with that kind of disappointing Phillip Rivers side of himself. But um, overall, on the season, he's been pretty reliable. And then the Darius Leonard forced fumble at the one-yard line on Kingsley – I mean, I'm sorry, uh, on – Kuti, um, sorry, was uh, pretty impressive. And Deshaun Watson fumbled, I believe it was, in the first game, and that's how they lost. So both times, the Texans driving with a chance to tie or take the lead, and they lose a fumble inside the red zone. So unfortunate there for Houston and um, a very big win for Indianapolis. And look, they're running the ball well. They're protecting Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is not making mistakes. The defense is getting after you without blitzing. That's the formula, and the Colts have it, and I like it. All right, Jets-Rams. So Jets fans, rejoice slash go into depression. I mean, I I know you didn't want to win this game, and you might think, what's the point of this? You know, but 
let me just tell you, man, the Browns are very fortunate because when you go 0-16, um, it's, it's tough. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to go – you don't want to be that bad. It's just it's, – it breeds bad culture. It breeds more losing um, typically, right? That's what happens. I mean, look at the Lions. They still haven't recovered from going 0-16, literally. They still haven't recovered, you know? And it just it just poisons your water, and you don't want to do that, right? So I think that it's important to get wins at this time of year. I wouldn't even be opposed to getting another one from the Jets, you know. And, and I know that kind of goes uh, against the whole like tank for Trevor and all that stuff. I get it, but look, the Chargers last year finished what with the number six pick, and I think they're doing all right, taking the uh, quote unquote third best quarterback in that draft. So I haven't studied these quarterbacks enough right now to have a real definitive you know, grading system on them. But I will tell you this much. My opinion on Trevor Lawrence is right now is that he is not by any means a perfect prospect. He's not. Does he do a lot of things special? Is he, you know, different in, in many ways? Is he potentially the best quarterback in this draft? Yes, yes, yes. But I'll tell you what, that guy to me is far from a perfect prospect at this point in the process. So we will see how that all plays out. I still have to watch a lot more tape on him, but um, which I'm getting to now, but uh, as of now, I'm not even ready to say he's def- definitively QB1 in this draft for me. Okay, so uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Sam Darnold was, he was efficient, you know, 22 of 31, 207 yards, one touchdown, no picks, and here's the thing, Sam Darnold did that against the Rams, which, are the wor- which was the best, or at least top three, at, at worst top three, passing defense in the NFL, and he was just very efficient, and what I loved about it was he converted, I think it was a third and six on the very last possession to ice the game. And those types of plays build confidence and build character. My question to Jets fans are, what if Sam Darnold comes in and dominates for the, excuse me, for the rest of the season? What if he throws 300 yards, 400 yards, three touchdowns in each of the next couple games and, you know, and you guys win and you end up with like the fifth seed? See, that's the thing is that what people don't understand, that's possible. I don't know their schedule off the top of my head right now, but that is literally a possibility. You don't, you're not just going to be done winning now. You went into L.A. and beat the Rams. If you think that it's just impossible for the Jets to win any other game, well, you're, you're mistaken. You know, I thought highly enough of the Jets to have them as a potential playoff team this year. I don't think I picked them to make the playoffs, but I think I said that they, they possibly could. They're one of those teams that I thought that maybe if everything went right, if Sam Darnold took that next step, if the offensive line was able to, all the new pieces were able to gel together immediately, if Mekhi Becton was that guy, if Quinton Williams had that breakout sophomore season, if, you know, all that kind of stuff, I thought they might be able to make the playoffs. You know, so there's talent there. There are building blocks there. On that defense especially, Marcus May played a great game. Uh, Quinton Williams looked like the Quinton from Alabama, except for he was doing that same stuff to NFL offensive linemen. You know what I mean? That's that's a big deal. Sam Darnold was good. Um, and Frank Gore, you know, 23 carries, not many yards, but they're literally using him as a feature back. And that's honestly kind of cool. So what happens if they win out? Something no one's talking about. They're acting as if it's just a foregone conclusion that the Jaguars and Jets are both going to lose out. It's crazy. Like that's that may not happen. They could both win out. They could both win another game or two. You know what I mean? So We'll see what happens, but as of right now, like I said, the Jets, you know, are the number two pick, but I don't think there's any perfect quarterback prospect in this draft, at least not yet from from my eye, and um, overall, 
uh, I think there's a lot of football left to be played in a weird way, even though there's not a bunch of games left, but there's a lot of games to be played. So in terms of Jared Goff, look, he was 6.1 yards of pass attempt, and L.A. Uh, Cam Akers got hurt for a little while, left the game. L.A. only ran the ball 19 times. You know, I thought that they kind of got away from it a little bit there. I understand why. The Jets were on, the, on top of them and kept extending that lead. But this is a game where if you're the Rams, look, man, you good teams, I say this all the time, good teams beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, and they do it consistently. The Rams are a team that has done that historically since Sean McVay's been there. They have beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. But in this case, they didn't do that, and they did pick the absolute worst time because Seattle won, and now you've given the Seahawks new life, and you have given the Seahawks an opportunity this coming week to come into your place or wherever that game is going to be. I think it's in Seattle, actually and take first place from you. And historically, since Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have been there, the Seahawks don't mess up those kinds of opportunities. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out for the Rams and Seattle, um, and that'll happen next week. So uh, the Lions and the Titans played the uh, in Tennessee. Titans won the game 46-25. Ryan Tannehill, last two seasons, guys, since he's been a Titan, has averaged almost nine yards of pass attempt, 8.7 yards per attempt, in five of his six previous seasons – he averaged 7.2 yards per attempt or less or fewer or whatever you say that. 53 touchdown passes to 11 interceptions, and he's got a few games left this year to expand on that. And over the last four games, Tennessee's averaging 39.3 points per game. So, um, <clears throat> you know, and two of those games came against playoff teams, by the way, Indianapolis and Cleveland. So Tennessee is dangerous right now. They're very efficient and yet still dynamic. Uh, Derrick Henry has 362 rush yards in the last two games, and he's averaging over seven yards a carry. He has over 133 rush yards, or at least 133 rush yards, in four of his last five games. You know, this guy is seriously playing at an MVP level, and I know the analytics guys hate that, but he truly is. Like, what is the explanation for Ryan Tannehill being a career, basically 7.2 yards an attempt guy, going and averaging damn near nine yards an attempt over the last two seasons? What's the... Like, what's the difference? I mean, I think the difference is Derrick Henry, personally. All right, and it was a gutsy effort from Matt Stafford, 22 of 32, 252 in a score. And then DeAndre Swift, I'm happy to see him kind of bouncing back, gaining more of his role again and looking good, in it? He had 19 touches for um, 82 yards and two touchdowns. So nice showing from him. And uh, Detroit, at least they're not laying down, right? All right, the Buccaneers and Falcons. Tampa wins this game 31-27. So the Bucs fell behind 17-0 at the half. They then scored 31 points in the second half, won the second half 31-10. Brady has 320 passing yards in the second half. Finishes the game 31-45, completed 69% of his passes, 390 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. So it was nice to see Antonio Brown get going in this game. He had five for 93 and a touchdown. I mean, the touchdown was a long one, too. It was a little double move. Uh, where he went deep for, I think it was about 45, 50-yard reception for a score. And overall, man, the uh, Buccaneers, after starting the game about as badly as they could possibly start it, came back and dominated the second half in terms of on both sides of the football, just absolutely dominated. And that, to me, is kind of what having a guy like Tom Brady on your team is all about, right? And and I don't mean to – I know some of you guys are going to hate this because you hate Tom Brady – but it really is. Like, he is a guy that can come in there and change a culture single-handedly. That is a, a big part of the reason why he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, he's a guy that 
that keeps you believing. Everybody makes fun of him. Oh, laser focus, you know, on the sideline and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the people that are on his team, they know that that's not an act and that's for real, right? And they, and they buy into it and it creates belief. And the thing about Tom Brady, he may not always play at an elite level, but it's the situational football aspect of his game that is elite and that always has been elite and that still is elite. And it's the reason his team can fall behind 17 points at the end of the first half and win the game comfortably. They basically won it pretty comfortably at the end of it, at the end of it all. So uh, great effort. Devin White had three sacks, four tackles for a loss. And uh, the Buccaneers as a team, man, are just a dominant blitzing team. And a big, a big reason for that is because they have the big guys up front that really can you know, kind of just take up those blockers. And then <clears throat> the fast linebackers can shoot the gap and get there and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. So I like that formula for Tampa. I think they're a tough matchup for Green Bay, who I believe is the favorite right now in the NFC. So that's very interesting to me um, to see how this all plays out with, the, with them in the playoffs moving forward. But overall, a big-time win after, after a very bad first half. Baltimore against Jacksonville. So the Baltimore Ravens are a team that before this game, when I was doing my preview uh, podcast, I, I talked about when do the Ravens lose games like this? Like when do they lose to the Jaguars? They don't. They just don't do it because they're a good team, a great organization, and they just do things the right way. And they and they they never have those kind of games that the Rams had this week. You know, they really don't like and especially not right now. They've scored 121 points over the last three games and they have the fourth best scoring defense. So when you look at that, look and the Ravens sacked Minshew five times. They're up there in pressures and all that kind of stuff. And they manufacture a lot of those. But still, they find ways to get to quarterbacks and if you don't have one of those quarterbacks that can just dice them up and make them pay for it then they, they get after you you know and that's just the the way it is so uh lamar jackson was efficient 17 of 22 243 yards three touchdowns one interception des bryant had a touchdown catch which was awesome to see and uh the ravens right now are that team man where if they make the playoffs you don't want to see them in round one you just don't and the, and i'm not saying that they'd be favorites against everybody but what I'm saying is they're dangerous, and I don't care if you're the Chiefs. You don't want to see them in the first round of the playoffs. Moving on to the Patriots and Dolphins game. So Bill Belichick versus the rookie quarterback did not quite go um, how I thought it would. I mean, look, Tua didn't light him up. Tua would definitely struggled at times and you know didn't score a point in the first half, and he had a rough time, right? So, um, But the Dolphins were able to run the ball. Tua was able to avoid consistent, you know, crucial mistakes and that's not something that rookie quarterbacks have been historically able to do against Bill Belichick he did throw a red zone interception in the first half that I saw that and I was just like well here they go again but Brian Flores to his credit was able to calm his young quarterback down was able to rally the troops and say hey look we're gonna have to run we need to do it successfully and they did it to the tune of 250 yards which you know absolutely killed Bill Belichick inside, right? He does not want to see his team get gashed like that, especially against his former uh, defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, whereas, you know, that's just like, you challenged me in that way and you guys won. So it was just, a, to me, a great effort by Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. So I was impressed with that. And I thought this game really came down to, well, which team ran the ball better? And that was the Miami Dolphins. And then also, Third downs and red zone. Miami has three touchdowns or had three touchdowns and the and the Patriots had four field goals. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of what what was the difference in this game. Miami was fifty-eight percent on third down, New England was twenty-two percent. So 
when you're able to convert that kind of third down ratio and you're able to hold your opponents to just 22%, and also you get touchdowns, they get field goals, you're going to win most of those games, even if you're losing at halftime and you have to come back and score 22 in the second half, which is what they did. Again, they ran wild. Tua played, you know, Tua played a decent game, 20 of 26, 145 yards. Uh, had two rushing touchdowns, one interception. Um, he was Alex Smith. I've been calling him Alex Smith, and he was Alex Smith in this game. And I don't mean that he's only going to be Alex Smith forever. But what I mean is that he's basically the same as the guy, Alex Smith, that we saw quarterbacking for the Washington football team. That's what two has been this year so far as a rookie, and that's okay. You know, that's solid. Um, and then we've got uh, Bears-Vikings. So the Bears were able to win this game, 33-27. That's two in a row for Chicago. And they're now 7-7. Seven and seven. And uh, Trubisky was solid again, completed 71.5% of his passes, averaged almost 10 yards an attempt, 9.6, one touchdown, one interception. And what do you know? They gave David Montgomery the football, and he rewarded them with big-time play. So 33 total touches. He had 162 yards and two touchdowns. The Bears' uh, defense sacked Kirk Cousins three times, and Dalvin Cook was able to get his. Jefferson got his. But the... um, Ultimately, the Bears were able to do enough in this game to make uh, to make enough plays to win the game. Uh, mainly, just their their ability to get pressure on Kirk Cousins at at critical moments, I thought, was a big deal um, in this one. And I loved the interception by Cameron Dantzler, who's been, by the way, playing out of his mind lately. Um, so that's encouraging for Minnesota. I tweeted out and posted earlier. I think that Rick Spielman and uh, Mike Zimmer. Have basically rebuilt this defense in the Seattle mold, just how Seattle did on the fly, and it's working out really well. Those those guys know what they're doing, and um, it's fun to see that rebuild happening and it happening quickly. You're going to see the fruits of that labor paying off in the coming years in Minnesota if they're able to get a pass rush. That defense is actually going to be pretty good next year. I mean, that defense as a young, inexperienced unit basically shut out Aaron Rodgers in the second half of that game at home when they beat him just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and that was kind of the turning point for them. So uh, Minnesota looks like they have a bright future, man. I think that, again, like I said, they knew what they were doing when they drafted Justin Jefferson. They knew what they were doing. Uh, excuse me, the guy looks like Stephon Diggs right now. Literally, he basically is playing just like Stephon Diggs. It's weird, but um, much better player than I ever thought he would be. And speaking of that, the Cousins, the Justin Jefferson throw the damn ball thing or whatever, for the record, I did think he said ball, not flag, but whatever it doesn't matter like I don't I'm not gonna argue with anybody about that because it does not matter if you've ever played a sport like if you ever played even basketball at the gym and you just say and one when you go to the hole like there's that guy that does that right that's not him saying that he wants the foul call every time that's just him saying like you know give me the damn ball I'm a competitor you know what I mean it's not it's not about he has no problem with Kirk Cousins. That's just ridiculous. The guy's having the greatest single season as a, as a rookie receiver ever. And people are literally tweeting out and instigating that he has some like problem with Kirk Cousins. It's ridiculous. I can't even believe, I think Warren Sharp was the first one to tweet that out. And it just, to me, it's like, grow up, dude. That That's not even like, come on. I don't know. Anyways, Browns-Giants. So the Sunday night game, the uh, Browns won 20-6. Baker Mayfield completed 84% of his passes, averaged 9.3 yards in attempt, two touchdowns, no picks. The Giants were able to stop the Cleveland run game, and it didn't matter because Baker was just extremely efficient. It was just a methodical win, and a, really a win to me that for Cleveland showed maturity. You know, it really did. It showed that they 
that they're ready to win. It showed that they're a playoff team to me. Like after that dramatic Monday night football game last night, one of the craziest games of the year, they come out and they just calmly destroy the New York Giants. And, and they controlled them from start to finish. It was a, a very impressive win. Baker Mayfield's playing at a, you know, a level that I think all of his fans, Cleveland fans especially, hoped for. And we're seeing it now. So he's playing well. The Giants, like I said, they were able to stop the run but just did not matter. I would have loved to see this game with Daniel Jones playing, right? Because I think that we all just knew when Colt McCoy was playing that it just wasn't, you know, it's just going to be a tough one for them to be able to pull off, especially because they just beat Seattle a few weeks ago. So it's like that element of surprise where no one, where everyone's underestimating you. That wasn't really going to happen in this one. You know, Cleveland, Cleveland came out and they did what good teams do when they beat a team they were supposed to beat when they were supposed to beat them in a time where they had to beat them. They did, this this could have been a Rams game. It really could have been. Like it could have been a Rams Jets game, but it wasn't because Cleveland's ready to win. Plain and simple. So, big win for them. Uh and the Giants are still just one game out of first place in the NFC East because all the um well, not all because Dallas won, but pretty much all the teams in the NFC East that mattered in that in that aspect for this week lost so good for them in that regard speaking of the nfc east let's talk about the washington football team hosted the seattle seahawks and this game was exactly the type of game i expected it to be as a matter of fact i predicted seattle would win this game 20 to 16 and seattle won this game 20 to 15 so that's pretty crazy um i obviously that's uh you know i i didn't I didn't, uh, you know, I, when I'm predicting scores, I'm basically just throwing numbers out there. I don't know, like, I don't, it's not like I have any formula to where I, I think that I'm actually going to be right. So just the fact that I almost got it right was crazy. And it was kind of especially crazy because Seattle got off to a pretty, like, they, they scored all their points early on. I think it was, like, all in the first half. So um, Russell Wilson was not able to light this team up. It was a vintage Ron Rivera versus Pete Carroll matchup. If you looked at, you know, what Rivera and Pete Carroll did, when they coached against each other when he was in when Ron was in Carolina, it was a lot of the same kind of stuff. And it was in Cam and Russell Wilson's earlier days of their career. And they always played like they would get in these like nine to twelve games and they you know, like ten to nine. So like it was just awesome football for me because I think when you see that, those games are to me more exciting because when those games are in in progress of happening and you see a twelve yard gain, it's like, wow, like you know, it just feels so uh, much more rewarding than when it's just like 45 nothing or 45-41 Mahomes versus Jared Goff. I prefer the defensive struggle. I'm old school, but what do you want me to say? All right, but um, yeah, man, it was, a, it was a good game. I thought the um, if it wasn't for the Seattle run game, then they, I don't think they would have gotten to 20 points against that Washington defense. Russell Wilson was 18 of 27, 121 yards, one touchdown, one pick, averaged four and a half yards in attempt. Um, but Seattle, like I said, they ran the ball. 181 yards, Russell ran for... 52 of those yards himself, so that was, you know, obviously huge. And then Dwayne Haskins, look, he played a bad first half. He was 15 of 24 for 98 yards, okay? He averaged 4.1 yards in attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. So it was not a pretty thing to watch um, in, in the first half of that game. But he came back in the second half, was 23 of 31 for 197 yards. That's 74%, 6.4 yards in attempt, which isn't great, but... You know he was ta- he was taking what the defense had to, or was giving him, and one touchdown, one interception. So obviously, you know, it didn't didn't lead to a ton of points, but it did lead to, um, you know, a guy that went in there and, and really showed that he could play when where there was some adversity and and showed that 
And I know everybody's going to say Seattle's defense sucks, but the reality is they've been playing well. And for Haskins to kind of bounce back in that way against them was very, uh, to me, it was encouraging, if nothing else, right? So um, moving on to the Eagles-Cardinals game. Arizona wins this game 33-26. And uh, so did you guys realize, because I think that the notion of this game and kind of the overall thought on it is, or the overall perception is like it was a high-scoring game. Did you know that the second half of this game it was seven to six Arizona? <laughs> that's uh that's pretty wild. It was it was you know only one touchdown for each team in the whole second half, third and fourth quarter. So uh, Jalen Hurts obviously played phenomenally well. He looked to me just like he did at Oklahoma. So this guy fell behind. He was down sixteen to zero. Okay, uh, he didn't flinch. It started out his game started out with that safety. So boom, he, he, you make a big mistake, intentional grounding in the end zone, safety. Then your next possession, three and out. Then your next possession leads to a punt. At that point, you're down 16-0, and you're three out of five for 25 yards, taking a safety and a bad sack, or in a sack. So that, to me, at that point, he went on to get this game before halftime to be a 26-20 game, right? So he outscored them um, 20-10 to 10 from that point on. It was just, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for from my quarterback. That kind of moxie, that kind of the it factor. He's a real leader. He's a legitimate NFL quarterback and a starter. Okay, so that's, to me, it'll be very interesting to see what they do with Carson Wentz because right now, there's no denying that Jalen Hurts looks really good. And, I mean, Carson Wentz all, had all these excuses. Lewis Riddick on, on Monday Night Football was, uh, you know, it's not Carson Wentz's fault. Blah, 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 blah. Look, man, I, I get that you're like, I try my best not to say anything negative about these players because I know they're putting their heart and soul into their craft. But to sit there and repeat yourself all night on Monday Night Football, please don't be the GM of my team, number one. Number two, to sit there and act like it's not his fault when clearly some of it, a large part of it probably, is his fault is just really annoying to me. And I don't know. You know, you can't do that, man. Because, look, Jalen Hurts has come in here now and said, what bad receivers? And, yeah, he got sacked a lot yesterday, but the Cardinals sacked quarterbacks. I mean, that's what they do, and, the, and Hurts had to pass the ball a lot. When, you, when you're in a situation where you have to pass the ball a lot, and you're, I mean, he almost threw it 50 times. And, uh, you know, opposing pass, good pass rushes you're playing against, they're going to get to you a little bit. So that's all right. You know, the previous week when they were able to run the ball effectively from start to finish against New Orleans, well, he didn't get sacked once. So that's kind of how that goes, and um, it's okay. But obviously some of that's on Jalen. He's got to get rid of the ball quicker. But look, the dude played out of his mind in that game, and he almost beat Arizona in Arizona in a critical moment. So shout-out to Jalen Hurts. Much respect to him. And then for Kyler Murray, that was probably Kyler's best game as a passer all season long. Um, 27 of 36, 406 passing yards. So that's 75% completion percentage over 11 yards in attempt, almost 11 and a half yards per attempt, three touchdowns, one pick. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins is an absolute monster. Nine catches for 169 yards and a touchdown. So um, obviously um, that, that offense, they needed this performance from, from Kyler and from DeAndre Hopkins because he hasn't been uh, quite as dominant in the last you know five, six, seven games of the year. So that's good from both their standpoints. And, I, and I'm interested to see if they do get in the playoffs. I want to see how they fare, right? Because like, they're, they're a team that if they can tap into that, how they kind of were playing earlier on this season, it'll be very interesting to see you know how well and how far they can go if they can give uh, anybody a run for their money in that NFC. Because the NFC, 
ultimately, I think that the Packers and Saints are probably the front runners in that, you know, and maybe the Bucks are up there. But, but really, it's a much more wide open, right? I could see any of three teams, maybe even four teams, if Seattle gets hot, or maybe even five teams if the Rams bounce back, win that whole damn conference, right? It would be so fitting for the Rams to lose to the Jets, be the only team the Jets beat, and then still make the Super Bowl. Like it, it, and it's possible. It could happen. So, um, But anyways, moving right along. Speaking of the Saints, uh, second to last game we're going to get to. Actually, you know what? Let's do the 49ers-Cowboys first so we can finish with the Colts. I mean, uh, the Chiefs-Saints. All right. So Dallas's past defense has been playing much better lately. And they did it again yesterday. Look, they, they were... I mean, they, they made the life difficult on Nick Mullins. And, um, you know, they, their offense showed promise. So they had some really some young defensive players show some promise in Neville Gallimore, Trevon Diggs. Um, you know, Gallimore made that beautiful tackle for loss down the, in, the, in the red zone area. And I believe that was the drive that ended up ultimately holding the, the 49ers to a field goal there. So they, um, the young players made some, made some plays in big moments on defense and offense with uh, C.D. Lamb leading them in receiving and returning that onside kick for a touchdown. And then you got Tony Pollard, who had six catches for like 69 yards and then 12 carries for 69 or 66 yards, something like that. Might have been reversed there. But point is, Pollard had well over 100 total yards of offense, 18 touches for 132 and two touchdowns. And he had the game ceiling 40-yard touchdown run where he showed off his ability to run through contact. You know, and and to me, um, Tony Pollard's going to make the Cowboys... I think think very hard about what to do with Zeke moving forward. I think Zeke will be there next year, but I think that just without looking at his contract, most of the time that guaranteed money is in the first three years. So I would bet that uh, that Zeke will not be there much longer than last year unless he comes back next year and has that kind of resurgence that he so desperately needs. But yeah, man, I thought that was impressive for Dallas, you know, to come out and get Mike McCarthy another win. I think McCarthy's job is now become safe, safer at least. And uh, as long as they don't end the season badly, I think he'll be the coach next year. So it'll be very interesting to see if Dal- D- uh, Dak Prescott comes back and just what kind of happens with Dallas. I think their intention is to get Dak back in there. They don't want a rookie quarterback. They don't want to trade this, that, and the other. You know, no, they want to get Dak Prescott there. Jerry has the money. They'll find it. They'll make it work. They'll manipulate the cap and make it work. And I think the Cowboys' future is becoming kind of bright because their past defense has played well lately. I mean, it just it's been the run defense has been the issue, and they were actually able to kind of hold San Francisco a little bit uh, in that regard. So I think that to me is um, going to be interesting to see how that all plays out over the next year or so uh, into 2021. So good win for the Cowboys, 41-33. I thought um, the Niners, you know, banged up and and they're playing with basically backups everywhere at this point. So I'm not um, worried about them. But something somebody asked me, I can't remember who it was right now. But someone asked me, do you think the, the 49ers would have any interest in trading for Matt Ryan? And I definitely think they would. I think that makes sense. Uh, I think if you pair, if you guys don't remember, Matt Ryan was the quarterback. I mean, uh, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator when Matt Ryan won MVP in 2016, where he went completely insane. Uh, yeah, I think that 49er fans would be okay with them giving up a second, third round pick. You know, maybe maybe even a first, whatever, for Matt Ryan and... Um, yeah, that, that could be – really, it could be a win for both teams. The guy who asked me about this asked if the Niners would give up Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I, I definitely think they would They would love to, but I don't think the Falcons would want Garoppolo. That's just my, my – t- I think they'd rather have that first or second round pick, something like that. 
Okay. And then, like I said, we're going to finish it off with the Saints and the Chiefs game. So Chiefs win it 32-29. Mahomes was held to 55% completion percentage and just 254 yards passing on uh, 5.4 yards per attempt. So the Saints really got a defensive performance of the ages after last week. They really didn't do a very good job in terms of their overall game plan against the running quarterback in Jalen Hurts. So that was... Um, a much better effort, much better plan by the Saints defense yesterday. And uh, look, at the end of the day, offensively, Kansas City didn't do anything spectacular. They were actually, the Saints were one step ahead of them basically the whole way. But at the end of the day, when your offense can't sustain drives and it forces your defense to be on the field for 92 snaps, the Chiefs offense ran 92 snaps against that New Orleans defense, 92 so eventually you heard the commentator saying like, well, they're kind of wearing down a little bit, you know, I think. And yeah, man, that, that's what was happening. That's absolutely what was happening. Uh, good observation by Tony in real time there to kind of to realize like, oh, wow, they've been on the field a whole lot. You know, they had uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair and Le'Veon Bell combined for 29 carries, 141 yards and a touchdown. And um, I think Clyde's OK. I don't think it's anything super serious. So that was encouraging. And uh, but see, look, guys, for all of those who thought like, why would you sign Le'Veon Bell? Let's say Clyde's injury is serious. Well, you don't want to go into the playoffs with just Daryl Williams as your only running back, do you? You know, I think that's kind of the idea behind just improving your team and adding another good player that you know you can give the ball to 30 times a game without any problem. Le'Veon Bell's ready for that. He can do that. We've seen him do that. I think that was a thought process behind that. So, um, Drew Brees was 15 of 34, 44% of his uh, completion percentage, 6.9 yards in attempt and an interception. Did have three touchdowns and kind of got going a little bit uh, later on in the game. Um, it could have been worse. I mean, he missed. Uh, they The Chiefs dropped at least one or two interceptions, or as PFF would call it, turnover-worthy plays were there for Drew Brees. So um, I thought that overall the Saints weren't able to really run the ball a ton. I thought they would try that more, but they didn't. You know, And I think that the um, obviously that – punt return where they forced the fumble and could not jump on that ball in the end zone I thought that was critical I think that obviously I mean that's saying stating the obvious right now but at the you know at the same time that right there was just when you have a chance against Kansas City to kind of make them pay dearly for their mistakes like they're a team that to say like you know when they make a mistake you have to make them pay is obviously the understatement of the year but when they make a mistake you don't just have to make them pay. You have to make them pay the absolute maximum price, right? So instead of New Orleans getting seven points there, they got two. And they lost by, what did they lose by? You know, um, three. You know what I mean? So, they, so to say that's the difference in the game is be speaking quite literally. Um, who knows? It might have played out differently had that happened. But point is, when you get, when you get the Chiefs in a situation like that, you have to make them pay the top dollar price and that did not happen with the saints yesterday very unfortunately for them um i thought that you know like i said drew Brees came out flat but he ultimately kind of got it going as the game went on and i if anything i'm really encouraged by the saints defense but it's now we're going to find out something about the saints in terms of who they are character wise because they have now lost two games in a row you know so let's see how they bounce back the packers won you know, they're still not out of it for that one seed, but you, for what seemed like a foregone conclusion, now has turned into a almost a foregone conclusion the opposite direction. But we'll see. We still have football to play. Saints are still in play for that one seed, and I think that um, I can't wait to see how they bounce back personally. And then for Kansas City, man, 
What a win. How many times have we seen the Chiefs not play their best and still win? Because that's what happened yesterday, ultimately. Like, you know, I don't know why they were just so cons- so just adamant to just keep airing it out when uh, New Orleans was just like, we don't respect your run game at all. We're going to play coverage, and, you know, we hope we stop you uh, if, if you do run it. But um, I think that that's a risky strategy for Kansas City to continue to try and do because ultimately, guys, if you don't have a run, run game and you're not willing to run the ball, I mean, they ran it. They ran 92 plays, and Le'Veon and Clyde combined for 29 runs, right? So that's still 67% pass. You know what I mean? It's 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 a uh, risky proposition. And Mahomes made some throws yesterday. That, you know, he could have made some more mistakes. So, um, all in all, though, the Chiefs are above all the rest. You know, they are the best team in football. Um, but I definitely do not think they are invincible come playoff time, especially if they're going to pass 70% of the time. That, that's, uh, to me, even if you have Mahomes, it's a little bit risky. So if, if Clyde's out, that could be a sneaky bigger loss than, than people think. You know, So I'm interested to see how everything plays out from here. I hope you guys enjoyed this um, kind of review for all the games, and I hope you enjoy the game tonight. Steelers, Bengals. I will not be doing a review or a breakdown for that one. I think we all know how that's going to go. But anyways, uh, I'm just hoping for a good game at this point. But appreciate you guys for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Later.